kind of greet each other, and then David will lead us uh, in the worship. So our call to worship this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to, ch to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's greet each other. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> All right, just remain standing, if you will. Remain standing as we sing, What a Mighty God We Serve. Let's sing it together. What a mighty God we Father, what a privilege it is to gather on this beautiful Lord's Day in this particular place, a place that has been set aside and dedicated to worship and praise of you, proclaiming the good news of the gospel to shed abroad with all people. Thank you for the ministry that this church has in this community and out to the uttermost parts of the world. Thank you, our Father, for the teaching of your word here, both in the Sunday school hour and in the worship services. May you truly be glorified this morning, and may we be humbled before you as a people that has been blessed in bountiful ways. We want to give you praise and thanks. And Father, no doubt there are special needs among our brothers and sisters and guests this morning. <coughs> Burdens, our Father, that are heavy on the heart. And Father, we pray that as our pastor preaches today your word, that the Holy Spirit would touch each of us and lift those special needs that are in our hearts and lives. And Father, that we might leave this place rejoicing and saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord with a desire in our hearts, Lord, to share that good news with all of us, those that we come into contact with. We pray for our church, Lord, in the weeks and months that are ahead as we prepare for a crusade this fall. 
We pray, Father, that we will have our hearts attuned anew and afresh with you. And God, that we will see your hand move and work in a mighty way. Help us to become more and more like you. May your spirit have freedom to work in our midst this morning. There's one that does not know you as Savior and Lord. When that invitation is given, Father, I pray that they shall be stirred and moved to repentance and faith in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Scripture says, God proves his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. No one loves us greater than the Father above. Let's sing it together.
bow our hearts before the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, you are indeed faithful as our creator. You are indeed faithful as our savior. And Father, you are indeed faithful as our sustainer. Father, we realize and we recognize this morning that all that we have is through you and by you. And Father, we are a grateful people. I pray that you would bless this holy hour. And I pray that you'll bless these, these gifts, these tithes, these offerings to your glory. Father, we ask that you'd be with Brother Daniel today as he brings the word. Lord, if there's one this morning that has yet to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into his or her life, I pray that you'll see to that today. And Father, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
I believe he's coming back, like he said. High upon a mountain from where he ascended, the angel of the Lord declared that it would be. Said, don't stand there grieving for the one you see leaving in like manners coming back for you and me. Yes, I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe that a trumpet's going to sound so loud one day it'll break the dead. In the twinkling of an eye he will split the eastern sky and I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe the time is nearing, we'll soon see his appearing. This could be the hour, oh this could be the day, when the saved from every nation shall lose gravitation in the middle of the air be called away. I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe that a trumpet's gonna sound so loud one day it'll wake the dead. In the twinkling of an eye, he will split the eastern sky, and I believe he's coming back like he said. Yes, I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe that a trumpet's going to sound so loud one day it'll wake the dead. In the twinkling of an eye, he will split the eastern sky and I believe he's coming back like he said. Thank you, Herman. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. He is certainly coming back. We have a video here. We're in our week of prayer for Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So this here is a message from Kevin Easel, who is our president of the North American Mission Board. The first church I pastored was Hilltop Baptist in Fort Worth, Texas. It was a small church, a lot like this one. They voted me in seven to zero, a unanimous call. In fact, it's the only unanimous call I've ever received. God taught me a lot about ministry through that church, and it is there that I saw firsthand the sacrificial giving of his people. One of our sweet members was Lenny Fenton. She was an older lady of very little means. She lived in a small house across the street from the church. Some would even call it a shack. Lenny didn't have much, but she gave sacrificially to our little church and to the offerings we participated in. And she took great joy in giving. She counted it a great privilege to give. Lenny has been with the Lord now for many years, but I take her memory with me wherever I'm serving. I tell her story to our staff and remind myself to look at every dollar we receive like it's Lenny Benton's dollar. You see, when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we know that many in your church are giving sacrificially. I also know that there are also dozens of worthy ministries and other things that you could support as a church. So I'm grateful for all that you and your church members do to support the Annie offering. Half of what we receive to support our missionaries comes from the Annie offering. And our guidelines require that every penny, every penny, 
of it goes to missionaries and to support them on the field. So whether your church meets in a building similar to this one, or if it's in a much larger facility, or somewhere in between, we will be the very best stewards of everything you send. Thank you for what you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and for all you're doing to help reach North America for Christ. We are grateful to be your partner. Kevin Easel, he used to be the pastor, I think he's over in Louisville, Highview Baptist Church over there. He was the pastor there. He went from there as our president of the North American Mission Board. And that is, we are in the season of our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, and it's certainly one that we give to support. Uh, they have identified 32 send cities. Send cities are urban areas that are growing that are in need of church plants. And the closest one from here is uh, up in Cincinnati. And our um, uh, Zach, Zach is pl uh, planning, a, uh, one of them is the um, Salt Lake City there, and our youth pa pastor, Zach Bauer, is planning a mission trip to bring our teenagers to go. So it's exciting for our church to be able to give to Annie Armstrong and then also to go and to support uh, missions and reaching North America for Christ. Open your Bibles, book of John, John chapter 18. We're going to be here, uh, here's the next preaching schedule for the next four weeks. Today we're going to look at the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And we're going to answer a question, if Judas can betray Jesus that easy, could you do it? And what is, you know, we don't even use that word anymore, betrayal. That's, uh, that's an old-timey word, but we're going to look at, talk about what does it mean to betray someone. And uh, Jesus, when it happened to him, he did not fight back. He just, it was a sheep going to the slaughter, the Bible described. And we also see there in his betrayal, we're going to see someone pulled out their sword and cut someone's ear off. And they were fighting back. That same man, next week, we're going to look at the denial of Jesus. This man who's pulling a sword is then literally the next verses after this will be denying Jesus. You know, if we don't betray him, we could, we could be just like Peter and we could deny Jesus. Then we're going to look at the death of Jesus on, on Palm Sunday. Jesus died. It was gruesome. It was an act of torture. Barbaric way he had to die. And then uh, uh, four weeks from today, April 1st, April Fool's, uh, is actually is going to be the resurrection day. Jesus is alive on Easter. So that's, that's going to be the next four weeks. We're going to be looking here at the, the Passion Week of Jesus Christ leading up to his, uh, his death. And, that, and today we're going to be here in John chapter 18. In a little bit we're going to flip over. Uh, and we're going to look here at a man named Cyphus, who was the high priest. So we're going to flip over in a second after we look at John 18. We're going to look at John 11. Uh, ben Biddle and I went to Brazil. We arrived there, I believe it was on February 21st. That morning we woke up and uh, we were able to access the internet at our, our, it's not a hotel, our motel that we stayed at. It was a motel that had the internet service. So we, um, I went on uh, the news, and my hero growing up, many of your heroes, uh, I uh, sad to learn, a man who was 99 years old, who was born on a little farm outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, Billy Graham, he passed away. And I remember when I was in high school, 12th grader, 1997, his book came out. It's called Just As I Am. In fact, this is our, invi our invitation of him we're going to sing today is Just, I Am, Just As I Am. That was the song that Billy Graham would always sing. But um, his autobiography came out 21 years ago. I'm sure many of you have read this. And it's one, it's definitely worth reading. He tells his life story. And it was fascinating some of the things he said in here. I went back and I was looking over it, remembering uh, him. But Billy Graham is uh, very unique. God raised up a farm boy to preach to 215 million people. Not, I'm not talking about via internet or like a um, computer screen or on TV. I'm talking about 215 million people in person. He preached to more people than anyone else in the history of mankind. He had a larger-than-life significance. He was someone, what was proud about Billy Graham, is he had clean hands. He was never involved in a scandal. He didn't cheat on his wife Ruth. 
He didn't steal money out of the offering plate. He wasn't uh, living in an elaborate house. He lived in a log cabin in Montreat, North Carolina. In fact, if Young Heart ever took David, if Young Heart ever took a trip, you know they have to, I haven't been there yet. But they have the Billy Graham Library. It's there in uh, Charlotte. I'd love to go. That was, that's a trip everybody should go to, including me. But that uh, you can go there. That's where his uh, burial was. Just a, he was buried uh, a week ago in a coffin made by prisoners, just with his wife right there. Just a simple headstone. A humble man that God raised up. To preach, and if you've heard, I know you've heard of Bill, a Billy Graham sermon. Do you know a Billy Graham sermon is the most simple sermon in the world? There's nothing to it. All it is is Jesus loves you. He died on a cross. It's time to get saved. Will you trust in Jesus? And that's his message. And millions of people have gotten saved by his ministry. He came to Lexington one time in 1971. He came to Memorial Coliseum. He was able to come and uh, have a four-day crusade uh, here and uh, share the gospel. Now, I share all this because I want to read a quote from this book. Here and towards the end, this is his biography. He says, I've often said that, this is on page 723, I've often said that the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, so he went to heaven two weeks ago. Why me, Lord? Why did you choose a farm boy from North Carolina to preach to so many people? To have such a wonderful team of associates and to have a part of what you were doing in the latter half of the 20th century. He's, gonna, he's in heaven. He asked God that question. Why me? Why did you raise me up to have such a significant influence in what you're doing in the latter half of the 20th century? You know, we th- we, and we look at guys like Billy Graham and say, you know, he was certainly an outstanding man. God used him mightily. But then we have to ask ourselves personally, if God can use Billy Graham, he can use you. God can put people in your life. He can put people in your family that you work with, that your neighbors, so you can lead to Jesus Christ. You know, the great thing about Billy Graham is if you were, they say if you were ever around the man, all he did is just walk around and lead people to Jesus. That's all the guy talked about. Any conversation, any news report, any TV interview, where's the conversation? We already know where the conversation is going. It's going to Jesus. And listen, if Billy Graham can do that, the simple gospel message, church, you can do that. We should be doing that. Billy Graham is in heaven. Not because he preached to 250 million, 215 million people in person. He's, going to, he's in heaven because he got saved when he was 16 years old at a Mordecai Ham revival outside Charlotte, North Carolina. He, tra- he walked the aisle and gave his life to Jesus. And therefore, the Bible says he's going to heaven. And what we want to see here this morning is we want to have that same type of impact. If the Lord can raise up a Billy Graham, he's raised you up. And we're going to see here in the Scriptures some of the things that trip us up here in this passage. Because a lot of us, guys, we're like Peter. We're about to see it here. Peter sees that Judas betrayed Jesus. He pulls out his sword and he thinks, I'm going to solve this problem right now. I'll show you. And he cuts someone's ear off. The kingdom of God does not come It doesn't come with politics. It doesn't come with violence. It doesn't come with force. The kingdom of God comes from the simple message of Jesus. Jesus saves. Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, and they respond to the gospel. Billy Graham was aware of this. One of the things he says in his books here is, he he talked about how he avoided partisan politics. He wanted to be the pastor of all all, uh, presidents, no matter what their political party was. He wanted to be able to go there and pray with them. He didn't want that to be a divisive issue. He wanted to offer uh, his, his, uh, his pastoral care to those. So I want you to turn here. John chapter 18. This is about betrayal. You know, we think about betrayal here. And uh, when we, we see this word here, betrayal. What that means is when someone turns on you. That's what a betrayal is. Someone who you used to trust, and all of a sudden, they stabbed you in the back. Oh, what on earth was this? 
I can't believe he did this or she did this to me. In many ways, divorce is betrayal. Uh, adultery, certainly betrayal. Denying your country. If you cease to be, if you say, I'm going to deny being an American and go flee to Canada and live for them. Oh, Canada flag up there. That's the betrayal. You've betrayed your country. Jesus had one of his 12 disciples betray him. That means a relationship was turned against. You know, in many ways for us, betrayal is not always that, that severe. Let me illustrate it. Yesterday, I was playing Nerf. We have, um, and there's this new Nerf place here in Lexington. You can go, and it's a Nerf war game. I think it's called Nerf, Nerf War. It's, it's somewhere, but you go there, and you shoot Nerf. And for those that don't know, Nerf is a gun that you shoot, and it hits people, and it doesn't hurt. It's a foam. So you go there. Well, anyway, we were at the house, and we were playing our Nerf Wars. And uh, Daniel's misbehaving, so I had to take away his gun from him. And so he couldn't play more, and then it was just Esther and I. So he had to go to his room. About two minutes later, maybe three minutes later, Benjamin comes downstairs. We were downstairs. And he wants to go get the gun that I took away. And he's over there gathering the gun. Now, he wasn't playing with us. In fact, I didn't know he even knew what we were playing. Um, he's gathering up the gun and the little Nerf bullets there. I go, why, why does he want this gun? How did he even know this? And I think, this just, this seems fishy. <laughs> why would he come and, and get this? Well, I look up and I see somebody's head popping around the top of the banister there, at the top of the stairs. It was little D. He had gotten his little brother to say, I want my gun back. So, little guy, you go downstairs and get the gun and bring it to me in my room. I busted the plan up, and they were, that's a betrayal. They say, I can't go down. I've got my gun taken away, so I'm going to send an agent. It's like somebody, they've been sold over, and they're going to go over and steal what they belong. That's, that's what it's like with brothers. I have a bunch of, bunch of kids at home. That's, that's what it means to be betrayed. All of a sudden, uh, someone's being used against, against someone else. So we're going to see here, and I want us to think about this when we read this scripture passage. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed, but he doesn't stop it. He doesn't fight back, but someone does. John 18, 1, after Jesus has said these things, the things here, he just prayed for all his, uh, fellow, his uh, fellow disciples and himself and for all the believers. He went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. He and his disciples went into it. So they're in, this, they're in this garden here. That's a common place they would meet. Verse 2, Judas, who betrayed him, he betrayed him for 30 silver coins. That's what he got. That's how much Jesus Christ was worth. 30 silver coins. Also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. You know how it says he often met there because they would meet there and they would pray. This is Jesus was such a man of prayer. They knew that this is where Jesus would go and we meet there and we would pray together. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. That's what we're going to capture Jesus with. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you're seeking? Now understand, we're, we're in a prayer garden. No weapons. At least Jesus didn't have a weapon. Peter had a secret he... He had, he had snuck a weapon on him. But they're there praying. And here come lanterns, torches, and weapons. They're coming into the prayer garden. The garden of Gethsemane. Middle of the night. They want to know what's going on. Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. Remember, it was dark. So this is on Thursday evening. This is after the Lord's Supper. They had their Lord's Supper and their... They're, um, they're together, and the, this is when the betrayal is going to happen. So this could be going on about 11 o'clock midnight. Ju- Judas, or, or they, Jesus says here, or they asked, the, Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing there with them. Luke's account of this says Judas went up and kissed Jesus to identify him. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. You know, could you imagine uh, police officers coming to arrest you, and then when they fi- figure out who you are, they fall down? And you think, come on, guys, we gotta, we're going to the cross, get up. you got to arrest me. 
Put me in handcuffs. That's, that's just we're, what we're seeing in this picture here is the total authority that Jesus has over this situation, even while he's getting arrested. The arresting party can't even stand up on their feet. When he said what was so powerful, when he said that phrase, I am he, it says that there in verse 6, that's a divine phrase. He's speaking that phrase, I am. When Moses wanted to know God's name, he says, I am. I am who I am. And Jesus said, I'm God. So when he said, I am, they fell back. These are you're arresting the, the, those that are supposed to be throwing them in jail. Jesus, verse 7, Then he said to them again, Who is it that you're seeking? Like, come on guys, get off the ground. Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. Jesus is protecting his disciples. Remember, the other 11 disciples are there. He's saying, guys, we don't want to mess with them. I'm the one you want. Don't bother these guys. Jesus is helping himself get arrested. This was to fulfill the words that he has said. I have lost none that you've given me. And what's powerful about that, if you look here in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 12, here it is. Here's what he said. 17.12, it says, While I was this with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that Scripture may be fulfilled. I don't want you all to miss this. Jesus Christ prayed and protected His disciples. He knew that the future of his, the church and Christianity, it was there with these men. And He was protecting them. If Jesus is praying and protecting and praying over those that are closest to Him, do you do the same? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for your church family? Do you pray for the gospel to go out? Jesus is broken over His disciples because He knows tough times are coming. And this, it's now come. He's right there saying, guys, don't arrest these other guys. I'm the one you want. I'm He. I'm the one you need to be hauling to jail. Verse 10. Now look at this. Now church, this is what happened. This is how we respond. Verse 10. We're just like Peter here. I want you all to think about this. Peter's the one we're going to see next week. He's going to now soon deny Jesus. You see a contrast. You see two different people. Then Simon Peter who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now we're not going to turn there, but in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, after this happened, it said Jesus saw that the man... Lo- Peter, understand, he wasn't just going for his ear. He's trying to kill him. He was probably cut his, swinging his, swinging, just, uh, cut his head off. Peter was one of these guys that probably had outburst. He was one who, uh, he had an opinion he was going to tell you. He was one that you're going to know where he's going to stand on the issue. In fact, he'll cut your head off just to reinforce it. Well, the servant here who was probably carrying a lantern or the guy who was uh, maybe carrying the weapons or um, the, what, whatever supplies the Pharisees, chief priests needed, he was there, standing right there with others, and he probably ducked, and it got his ear. The sword did. So now the man's ear falls on the ground, and in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, it says, Jesus touched the man and healed him. Now, let's, let's think about why we're being arrested. We're being arrested because we're the Messiah, and we're the Son of God, and we don't like this guy, Jesus, because... He's causing a lot of problems, and he's getting a lot of followers, and people are losing interest in what the chief priests and the Pharisees saying, because a lot of folks are believing in this man as the Messiah. Now, of this entire arrest that happens, who's the one person there that all of a sudden knew this guy's the Messiah? Think about this Malchus guy. He just had his ear cut off. We're arresting this man who we think is a phony, because he claims to be the Son of God. 
and he just touched my ear, and it was healed. You know, if anybody during this arrest knew that he's the Messiah, it's Malchus. He just got healed. During Jesus' betrayal and his arrest, he's still doing ministry. He's still healing people. And he scolds Peter. Look at this, verse 11. It says, At that Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Now what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about his death. Jesus is saying, I know my purpose. I'm going to the cross. We're not, we, the kingdom of God doesn't come with swords. We never advance the cause by killing people and cutting their ear off and their head. That doesn't do any good. I, that's more people out the hill. And what we see a picture here is Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew his purpose. You know, one of the great things here about Billy Graham is he knew where he was going. God raised him up to be an evangelist to millions of Americans, to point them to Jesus Christ. In any conversation he was with folks, he's leading them. He's pointing them to the Messiah. Jesus is marching to the cross. He's going to die for you and I because we're desperate. Peter doesn't see this. Verse 12, Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus, and they tied him up. First they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the high priest for a while. And Annas here, he, um, he was the former high priest, and they were related. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Now, what is the Bible talking about? For one man to die for the people. Keep your finger here in John chapter 18. Flip back to John chapter 11. This is significant here in the Scriptures. Because this one, the high priest, made a prophecy, and he didn't even realize what he was saying. God was using a wicked high priest to actually prepare for Jesus' death. After um, Jesus raised Lazarus to, to life, it, started, it caused some problems. That didn't go over very well. In fact, after Jesus raised somebody from the dead, they decided it's time to kill Lazarus, or time to kill Jesus. So what we see here in John chapter 11, this is the Cyphus prophecy. John eleven forty five. 45. Look what it says. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to Mary saw what, they, saw what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You know, Jesus getting towels held on. Pharisees, Jesus went and raised someone from the dead. Lazarus was dead and Jesus, he broke the tomb open and came out. He'd been dead four days and he smells bad. He had mommy clothes on. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. So we have to stop Jesus because we're going to lose our authority. And we're going to lose our whole nation. Have you ever heard folks talk this way? If we don't stop, the, if we don't stop the trajectory that the United States is going on, we're going to lose America. There won't be an America for the next generation. That's exactly what they're saying. One of them, Cyphus, verse 49, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Sounds like a Baptist deacon right there. You know nothing at all. He speaks up at the Sanhedrin in the meeting, and he's going to straighten everybody out. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. I mean, we've already, we've already wrote off, we've already accepted the fact that the nation of Israel is going to perish because of Jesus, Jesus here. So instead of killing off the whole nation, let's kill one man. One man needs to die. Verse 51, He did not say this on his own, but, was, but being high priest that year prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. 
their solution was instead of everybody dying and the whole nation, let's take out Jesus. We're going to kill this one man. You have a quote here from D.A. Carson up on the screen. And this is what's going on here with Jesus. D.A. Carson's a Bible theologian up at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School up outside Chicago. And he made this quote about what's happening here in John chapter 18, also in John chapter 11. It says, Jesus is not to be arrested in order to be tried. I understand Jesus isn't being arrested because he's done anything wrong. He's being tried because he's already been found guilty. Jesus was already guilty. Caiaphas wanted him died, dead. He said a prophecy that year that one man's going to have to die for the Jewish people. God wants him dead because Jesus' purpose on earth is to die for humanity. And Jesus knows this, and he was headed that way as well. He's preventing anyone to stop him from going to the cross. He's not going to receive a fair trial. He's already guilty. Church, he's guilty for us because we're guilty. He's dying in our place. We're the ones that needed to be arrested. We're the ones that needed someone to die for us. We're the one in need of this, this event that's occurring here in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we reply just like Peter. We try to stop, stop God's will in our life. You know, if someone's trying to kill you, they're probably going to find a way. And that's certainly the case right here. The Pharisees, the chief priests, they're wanting Jesus gone. Jesus is here, who is he has surrendered to, to the arrest. He declares, I am. The troops fall over because they're arresting God. And the question for us is, if Jesus is submitting to God's will, just this easily, just completely marching for the cross, are we doing the same? Billy Graham, going back to him, he knew his purpose. He knew his plan. He's marching people towards Christ. Broadway Baptist, do you have that same singular focus on the Lord? Do you wake up in the morning and say, God, this is the day you've made. It's yours. If I'm to be betrayed, that's your plan. I'm here to point people to Jesus. I'm here to live for you. I'm here to come into a worship service. It's not just about attending a worship service. Lord, I'm here to participate. Lord, speak to me. This final week, this Thursday night, Jesus is arrested. He just spent probably hours in prayer praying for you. John chapter 17, he prays for all the believers on earth. Jesus Christ has raised, if you are a saved, born-again believer, He has raised you up this Easter season, and He wants you to live completely for Him in a singular focus thing. Lord, everything I have is for you. Church, do you live this way? Do you, do you have a... Do you realize that the kingdom of God is working through you, not by sword, not by politics, not by skill? Do you know why these things are happening? They're occurring because of prophecy. Because God said Jesus is going to die. And if God says Jesus is going to die, church is going to die. He's going to die for you and I. And if God has saved you. He has saved you for a purpose and a plan. And this morning, we're looking at that. So what, what is, Lord, what am I seeking? We see here, look at the major things we just saw in John chapter 18. Silencing. They're here to silence Jesus. Seeking. These people show up and says here, Jesus asks a question, who is it you're seeking? Who are you looking for? And you know, that Jesus is also protecting. He's protecting his other disciples. The only person not protected in the story is Jesus. He's the one going to the cross. Judas' whole plan was to silence Jesus Christ. 
He sold them out. He saw 30 silver coins. That's how much Jesus was worth to him. So he said, I need some more money. So I'll sell this guy out. He betrayed him. That's what a betrayal is. Listen, if Jesus is betrayed, if Jesus is sold for 30 silver coins, you're going to be betrayed. Betrayal is when people turn against you. When someone lets you down. When you are hurt. Imagine, imagine what the other disciples are thinking. Do you know why Peter was so eagerly to pull out his sword? Because he thought, Judas, man, we've been together three years. And this is the moment that Judas finally revealed himself as the enemy. And Jesus knew it the whole time. Judas was the treasurer, the guy who kept the money bag. The Bible also says he helped himself to the money bag as well. He, He took some donations. He wasn't like... Billy Graham with clean hands. He had, he had dirty hands. He helped himself with what he needed, his money. And at this point, he revealed, I'm the one who's going to betray Jesus. And the other, uh, the other 11 disciples at this point are in complete anger and disappointment. So much so that Peter's ready to fight them with a sword and makes a swing at them. And if it happens to Jesus... It's going to happen to you when you're betrayed, when you're let down, when disappointment comes in your life. How do you respond? Do you fight back? Do you return the favor, so to say? Say, I'm going to get back to this person. I'll show Judas. Jesus didn't allow any of this. This is in God's plan. When you trust the Lord with your life, You're just like Billy Graham saying, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. Here are my hands. Here are my feet. Here's my mouth. You use me. I don't want to stand in the way. Jesus here is being silenced. Knowing that, these guys are coming. They're seeking. They're seekers during Jesus' day. They ask the question, who is it you're looking for? All they knew, it's dark, it's night. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And his enemies fell down. They could not stand in the presence of Christ. When you're seeking after God, you're coming to Him, and you're saying, Lord, I don't really know who I'm looking for. I don't really know all the details. I don't know, God, why you brought me here this morning, here on Spring Forward Sunday. I lost an hour of sleep. But Lord, I'm here. I don't even know what I'm looking for. And Jesus is speaking, saying, I'm He, I'm the one. I'm the one that you're looking for, the Messiah, that you're arresting. No, you have seekers. Lord, we, or church, we have protectors. Jesus is protecting His disciples. And if He protects His disciples 2,000 years ago, He protects you today. Jesus protects you. Not so much that you can live a wonderful life, so that you can live a life for Him. He's protecting his other 11 disciples so they can go out and plant a church. They're church planters, 11 of them. They go out and they trust in the Lord. The goal of these next three, four weeks leading up to Easter is to begin living as though Jesus is alive. Because he is alive. He's dying. He's headed to the cross. The church, he's alive today. Jesus Christ is, you're coming, some of you here this morning, you've been betrayed, you've been broken heart, you've been disappointed by folks, and you're hurt. Peter was hurt. He's mad and angry at Judas. He's going to swing his sword. And Jesus says, no. Let it happen. Whatever God is bringing you through this morning, God's message for you in this is for you to trust Him. Billy Graham goes around calling people to trust in Jesus. And many of you have made that commitment many decades ago. I made it 20 years ago. Trusting in Jesus is my Savior. And you made that commitment to Him years ago. Or maybe you need to make it today. But are you trusting Him daily? Are you trusting Him with your doctor's appointments? Are you trusting Him with your family that's not in church? 
Are you trusting Him in your finances, in your marriage? Are you trusting Him here at our church? Do you have the attitude, Lord, I'm just going to trust you here at Broadway, and you're going to do a great work because we honor your word. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, and gospel-teaching church. The Lord honors that. That's what it means to trust Him. We're about to have our invitation. Now, in our invitation, I want some of you to think about Peter. I'm like Peter. People like Peter. Or when things don't go your way, do you know what you do? You pull your sword. You've got your hand on your sword. And you're going to start swinging wildly. Somebody's going to get hit. And an ear might get cut off. If things don't go your way, if th- things don't go planned, you cannot have your hand on your sword every time. You don't even need a sword. Jesus did not have a weapon. He went to the cross. Some of you need to put down your swords. Some of you just need to have the attitude, Lord, I'm tired of being like Peter, trying to take things in my own hand and solve problems. We trust the Lord. This betrayal, as bad as it is in Scriptures, this is 110% in God's will. In fact, the Bible says that Judas was born for this very purpose. His purpose was to betray Jesus. Now, we weren't born for that. Judas had a unique place in God's sovereign plan right there. Judas went to hell, the Bible says. He died separated. He committed suicide. After this, he became remorseful, but it wasn't repentance. He was remorseful. He was sorry. He didn't repent of his sin. He went and killed himself. The Bible says he went to hell. He jumped off a cliff. Now, Judas had a plan. Peter has a plan. Jesus had a plan. Church, God has a plan for you. And betrayals are going to happen. And the goal of this message, and God speaking to you, is you don't need to have your sword ready. This was a prophecy that one man, that Cyphus said, was going to die for the people. And we don't want to be staying away. Are you standing in the way of God working in your life? Are you swinging your sword? Are you cutting people's ears off? If you are, Jesus is saying, put your sword up. The kingdom of God does not come that way. We're about to have our invitation. Some of you need to respond to the gospel. You need to say yes to Jesus. You need to walk the aisle and give your life to Christ. Billy Graham calls people to come, singing just as I am. Jesus Christ calls people to trust in Him. Even here at the betrayal, He's healing someone. And you need that today. Lord, I pray for the folks this morning. Lord, some of us here need to drop our sword. We're like Peter. We're swinging it wildly. We see a betrayal. We're disappointed. We're hurt. And we fight back. And it's wrong. Lord, You are calling us today to trust You. God, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here that You've brought into this sanctuary, it's not by accident. Lord, nothing's by accident with You, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will respond to the Gospel and we will say yes to You. We will trust in You and follow You as disciples and become believers this morning. Lord, this is the Gospel call. We're here at Easter season, and we're looking at what it's like leading up to the greatest event in the history of humanity. And Lord, the betrayal by Judas was one that was in your plan. Lord, if Judas can betray you and let you down, Lord, we can do the same. And Lord, we might have done that, but the good thing is, we can be forgiven of that. And we can turn to you. God, I pray to your invitation this morning. If anybody here needs to make a decision, I pray that we certainly respond to you speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David Dale is going to lead us in our song. We're going to sing Just As I Am. I think it's 435 in your, in your song. But come invite everyone to stand together. As always, I'll be waiting down front for you to respond this morning. David?
my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot o lamb of god i come i come just as a am thou wilt receive will welcome pardon cleanse relief because a promise i believe o lamb of god i come I come just as I am thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down now to be thine yea thine everybody uh, this coming week couple events going on and uh, so you could be aware of that this coming saturday is our monthly men's ministry prayer breakfast so all the men need to come we have a uh, a gentleman named gavin uh ray knows him gavin dearsome he's going to be speaking so we're gonna have a great breakfast a great time so certainly uh, he's a, a discipleship guy so he's going to be sharing about uh become more of a disciple of jesus so that's going to be saturday at eight o'clock so I want to encourage you tonight, uh, we are going to ordain Richard Carroll to, as a deacon. So I want to invite all our deacons to come. We'll certainly participate in that. I'll be still preaching through Luke, uh, so that's or Luke chapter 5. So that's tonight's service. We also have Team Kid, and uh, Zach has uh, discipleship groups for the teenagers. So those are some of the things going on. Wednesday night, we have our Wednesday night dinner, as well as our different uh, Bible studies we're certainly going through at 6.30. So uh, we're in full swing here Easter season. Hopefully God's placed on somebody in your heart and your life that you can invite to church these next few weeks. A lot of folks are open to invitations to church during Easter. So that, those are some of the things going on. I'm going to ask uh, David to close right, us out. We're going to sing together the chorus, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt. 